Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Mariana. And Elizabeth. Hi. Hi, and I should say Lucy, because we're dog-sitting. Oh. It's an unknown uh, quantity here. (laughs) Well, Lucy, we're happy to have you on the show. Please don't bark. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Please. Please don't. (laughs) It's so funny because she was scratching at the door to come in, but now she's sitting at the door with her nose, like, under the door, like, let me out. That's so very cat-like. That's what my cats do. They're like, you have to let me in this room. And then you let them in. They're like, you have to let me out of this room. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're like, seriously? (laughs) This is the game that we play with our dogs back and forth. So we don't have a doggy door because it would be half the door with our dogs. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So they just go sit by the door, which leads out to our porch and backyard, which is in our kitchen. So what Waylon really would like you to do is leave the door opened all the time. Yeah, why don't you just leave the door open? Because it's 108 degrees here. <laughs> and so, I mean, I guess if we had like a screened, a screen that we could pull, but it would still be really hot. Because yeah. now, now the problem is like bugs are getting in our kitchen. It's ugh. But he gets mad if you close the door while he's out there. And he gets mad if you close the door while he's in here. So it's... Just up and down. Up and down. Yeah, yeah. That's it's terrible. One of, yeah, it's one of the key reasons that Sam moved his desk upstairs <laughs> from downstairs. So he didn't have to pay attention to the dog? Well, if you're upstairs and the dogs are upstairs, they don't... It's like they don't see the door, so they don't want to go in and out. That's interesting. They're like, oh, now is our upstairs time. Okay. I'll be content. Isn't that funny? It's, it's definitely funny. Does he, like pace around or something to make you uncomfortable about his state so that you feel the need to change it. Right. So he comes and he'll nose under your hand. Ah, I see. Flip your hand up. I see. Or he's he's also a pawer. So he takes his right paw and he kind of scrapes at your arm or head. Oh dear. Whatever. Willie yeah. is much more polite about it. He comes and he sits down and he goes, <laughs> That's cute. But he stays in his personal space. Uh huh. Waylon just gets all up in your personal space till you move and get up. Tag just lays in front of the door and stares out. He doesn't like in the apartment that we live in, he doesn't he doesn't go to the door unless he's like, Oh my gosh, I have to pee right now and then we go out and he pees. But like most of the time, he's just sleeping on the floor somewhere and doesn't really care. Um, and when we go to Leslie's and work, and there's a backyard, and he knows the backyard is there, um, he'll go and just lay by the sliding door and look out of it. And then when you, like, walk into that room, then he jumps up and stands there and looks at you. Like, oh, I want to go outside. And so then you let him outside, and then if he wants to come back in, it's the same thing, only opposite, where he just, like, lays there yes. and stares inside. Yeah, yeah. But he's not, like, freaking out. He's just there. No, I mean, most of the time it's just that. It's, like, laying close to the door or something like that. Uh But lately, we've had dogs who have gotten sick. I don't know if it's because of the heat or what's going on, but their tummies have been upset. So, (laughs) you know, you're like, well, maybe they're trying to tell me something and I don't want to clean up after them again. Yeah. So No, I hear that. You're responding, you know, you're extra attentive to... You're like, oh, no, yeah, no, you really, you have to go out, right? Go out. go out, please. Stay out. Do what you need to yeah. do. 
But it is it is an interesting quandary, you know. You see the exit, you want to go out, and then when you get out, you want to go in. It's kind of like the grass is greener on the other side. I guess that's true of cows and horses and farm animals, but this is the dog version. You're like, okay, so let's talk about the fact that you're perfectly fine inside. Yeah. Or Silly dog. Sometimes I sometimes I give my dogs little speeches about how lucky they are to be inside dogs <laughs> as I'm vacuuming up their hair nice. or cleaning up their mess. You're like, in my day, yeah. we had to stay outside even when it was 500 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> well, I didn't grow up with indoor pets. Yeah. And so my ability to, well, Sam will tell you this, but my ability to clean in a house full of uh, furry animals is not up to snuff yet. Well, don't feel too bad about that. Um, mine is not either. <laughs> um, we had indoor dogs. Well, no. So we had one indoor dog when I was young because she was a Sheltie and my parents got her before I was born. And she lived like 16 years. Um so she was a good old dog when she died. And then we had two, uh, we had a lab and a border collie and they lived outside, like solely outside. Yeah. Our dogs, dogs did Unless too, it was like below freezing. And then my parents would bring them inside if it was going to be below freezing. But then they would like shut them in the kitchen. Yes. So. This was my life too. I mean, my parents have property and so, you know, they had a pen that they stayed in, but then... During the summers and during the day, they would kind of be let out to roam. You know, mm-hmm. they'd disappear and come back in the creek and, yeah. It was a different world we lived in then. I actually was thinking about that the other day as I curled up in bed with my giant right? hairy dog. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is my reality. <laughs> yes. This is my reality and I would not change it because I feel like my dog is very well balanced where the dogs we had growing up were a little bit more unbalanced because their pack life was not regulated. It was it was not good for them, so Yeah, so you know, I'm going walking yesterday and the baby well, I was gonna go running and then the baby woke up, so I was like, Okay, well, He's to the point now that he can sit up in a stroller in, like, a three-point harness. So he loves going walking because now he can see it out instead of, Uh like, baby carrier that you snap in. And so he loves it. And he loves that he can see, like, the dog's nose as they're walking beside the stroller. So Sam looks at me. He's like, are you going to take all three of those dogs and the baby in a stroller? I was like, yeah. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I am. You're crazy. (laughs) I'm like, no, it's, I mean, it's overwhelming at first because they're so excited. But you round two corners, and then they just start do 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 do. Like they're in this constant um, synchronization because they're they're walking in a pack. Yeah, they figure it out. Yeah, it's like sled dogs. Right. You should get them to pull you. Actually, <laughs> they, I mean, they probably would pull the stroller, but I don't, I don't quite trust. You're like them. they would run off with Ben. <laughs> He'd never see him again. Ben, look at this squirrel. Look, this is a squirrel. Let me see the squirrel. And this is a cat. And this is, yeah. It'd be a little too rough. Oh my gosh. He'd be one of those ladies in the news. I know. It's funny because 
You know, I always, I grew up and I was trying to think when I had this, I know when I was in Germany, we had, we all were like, gosh, we were living alone in this foreign country in this foreign life. And we were all like, oh my gosh, this would be so much better if we had a dog. And in Germany, you really could take your dogs anywhere. You could take them to the grocery store. You could take them to school, to work. I mean, yeah, you can really take your dogs anywhere. And so there's this idea that I guess at that point it kind of formed in my mind. Oh, I'm going to get a pet dog someday. Nice. You know, but he's going to live inside. Maybe that's where it started. But I distinctly remember wanting to be able to run with a dog. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, where did that originate? Because we didn't grow up. And where did it... And then and then I swore when um, Sam and I got Willie, after Sam's dog he had had for a long time passed away, I was like, well, okay, we're going to have a dog, but he is not going to sleep in the bed with us. He's not <laughs> going to. Like, that's... No. And Sam and his dog, like, his dog would sleep under the covers with him and go down to the foot of the bed and sleep down. (laughs) And then, so we went through a couple of articulations, like, oh, well, he's just a puppy. Well, then we moved, and so we're like, oh, well, it's just until we move. They were like, okay, well, when when I get, when I got pregnant, we were like, yeah, we're not going to do that because we don't want the dogs in the bed with the baby. Nope, (laughs) nope, 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 nope. The dogs are like, duh, of course we're going to be in the bed with the baby. Yes. <laughs> Somebody's got to look after him. Somebody's got to keep this baby warm in the bed. <laughs> I was just talking That's about it. dogs in the bed and how we swore that we wouldn't do it. He's just laughing at me. <laughs> and now the other night, so we have a, a dog that we're dog sitting. And mostly, most of the time, it's just Willie who's in the bed with us. And Willie doesn't start in the bed with us, but he then ends up in the bed with us. Uh-huh. But the other night, all three of the dogs were in the bed with us. Nice. <laughs> we're like, They're hey, like, no preferential lying. treatment. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Which Waylon only got in bed, I know, because Lucy, the visiting dog, was in bed too. And he was like, oh, no. If you're going to try to sneak your way into my parents' good graces, you're going to have to uh-huh. deal with me too. That's awesome. But Waylon, I mean, Waylon has Great Dane in him. And if you've seen Great Danes, you know sometimes their dog beds are queen-size beds. Yes. So we have yeah, to there's curl up. A friend of mine on Facebook, she, she actually breeds Great Danes and shows them. And so when she has pictures of puppies, I'm like, oh, gosh, they're so cute, and I really want one, and then she shows pictures of the adults, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I can't do it. You say that, but, I mean, we would get, like, four Great Danes. I could not have, I I just couldn't clean up poop that big. Oh, yeah, (laughs) not in an apartment, you would have to have a yard. Yeah. There's no, you have to have a yard. And even then, like, I don't know. If you want to be able to use said yard and not walk through landmines of poo, you still have to clean it up. That's a lot of poo. That's true. Your grass does grow well, though. (laughs) That's awesome. So how are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing okay. I I have been plugging away with Camp Nano for the past couple of weeks, and I'm more than halfway through uh, with this this revision of 
my manuscript. So that's super exciting. Um, I sent the first six chapters off to my, my, I wouldn't, I don't know what I call her, my beta reader. I'm going to call her an alpha reader because alphas, she's not, she's not actually giving me feedback except for the fact that I sent her six chapters and she sent me a four letter, a four word email that said more, 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 more. So I got feedback from her. That's but good it was, feedback too. And it was good feedback. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, okay. So, um, but yeah, so she's looked at it and seems to like it. And so then my critique partners will, um, they get to see the first three chapters. Um, and I should hear from them at the end of the month. So it's plugging along. I'm kind of excited and sort of a little bit like, I can't believe that I'm actually this far along with this project. Like I haven't derailed myself yet. Right. So I was working <laughs> last night too, believe it or not on, on writing. Yay. Uh, it was kind of freeing. Like I wasn't editing for other people. I wasn't drafting for the ghost writing project. I was writing on my project. Nice. And I was texting Sam and I, I was like, I think this might be a pretty decent book. It's got themes. <laughs> it's got repetition. I was like, it, I mean, if I were editing this, I'd be like, that's a good point. <laughs> nice. You know, it's funny when you see your own writing like that. And you're like, oh, hey, look how much I've evolved in the past. Yes. However long. Because that's, that's what I kind of feel is I'm like, oh, like I actually do know my stuff. Hey, that's amazing. Right. I actually have some writing technique in here. I mean, <laughs> no, there are typos. There's, I have big sections that are highlighted in red or blue or something that's repetition that needs to be, like, I have to decide whether I'm going to say it there or this other place that's a big red block too. But right. you know what? And I haven't erased the words yet because I'm like, I'm going to deal with that later. I just noticed it. So you would be proud. I highlighted it and moved on. Nice. Yeah, so. Feels kind of good, doesn't it? Well, it feels kind of surreal. Kind of <laughs> surreal. And then I started thinking, I think people might actually buy this book. Oh. Some people. You know, I started thinking through <laughs> through it. I was like, I, well, maybe not that person, but this person would write. I think this person would buy it. Yay. But I also, I also feel like some of the things that I've been um, that I've experienced lately has have provided me clarity to round out the manuscript too. Mm. And I think that's part of the thing that sometimes we don't allow ourselves as writers. We get in a rush to finish a project, but sometimes it's it takes longer than we think, and it needs to take longer than we think. Yes, Does that I make agree. Sense? Yep. Because I was just talking to someone recently who was who was telling me oh I'm writing faster than I can have my books published and I was like that's great I mean there are really prolific writers out there but mm -hmm. there is also something to be said about giving a manuscript and the written word some time to marinate yes I agree because like just even taking a couple steps back from it and then coming back to it you can think of a different, more creative way to say something or like something else that you need to add that will round out the perspective or something like that. 
Yes. And so I think it's, but also, I'm also recognizing uh, my procrastination. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so there, too. Justification. (laughs) So I don't mean that kind of waiting. I mean the kind of waiting that's artistic. Mm. Not avoidance behavior. (laughs) Yeah. What, who has avoidance behavior? Gosh. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, recently, that's been happening to me with my ghostwriting project, actually. I, even though, like, I, I over the hump now on it, and I can spend time doing the parts I'm, I'm stronger at, I'm still, like, I'm like, no, 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 I'm just not going to bother right now. No, 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 it's not time yet. No, I am serious. That bookshelf needed to be cleaned. I needed to take all the right. books out, reorganize oh. them, group them together, <laughs> and clean them. For me, it was, it's been the dog recently. I'm like, well, he just, he really needed to be groomed, you know? Like, he's, <laughs> it's summer, and he's got all that undercoat, and, you know, like, I just, uh, let me, let me turn on Lost and, like, watch an episode while I groom him for, like, an hour. The dog's like, please stop brushing me. (laughs) (laughs) No, the laundry needs to get done right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the sheets need to be changed. (laughs) But it is, I mean, it is hard to balance what you're trying to do at work with this creative project. And I was just thinking, I was sitting at a restaurant, and so I was drinking a beer as I was writing and... For me, I have to get out of my house to really write well because mm. three dogs, three kids, laundry, those <laughs> kinds of things. I need to be in a separate place. But also, I've got to be in a place where there's some background noise. Yeah. And so I was there, and I was like, gosh, if I would just give myself this time every day, I would be done by now. I'd be done drafting. Mm-hmm. But then I was also thinking, but if I hadn't experienced, you know, these past three things in this past month, I wouldn't have looked at this in the same way. And so it's a balancing act to be sure. It's true. It's true. It's a process. It's a journey. And that's why in school as a writing teacher, you know, we always talked about the writing process, how we would take kids through this five-step process and it was a very linear way of approaching the writing process. And, and a lot of us who were studying beyond just our BAs were debating whether that was the most effective way to teach kids to write because it wasn't very authentic to most people's writing experience. You know, mm-hmm. for most people, it's not a linear path. It's a cyclical path. And so you write and you edit and you draft and you write and you edit and you draft in a kind of cyclical nature that all goes together. Mm-hmm. There's not a five-step, okay, let's move our paper clip from this to this because now I'm on editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can... I think it's it, on the one hand that's true and then on the other hand like you can you can definitely definitely tell when you've moved from one phase to the next um like where it's no longer you know you're no longer collecting information um or like writing scenes anymore you're just you're just focusing on the what Stuart 
Horowitz calls the method draft, which is you've you've done a lot of the messy writing and now you're polishing and shaping and adding where you need to, but it's not quite the same thing anymore. Yeah. So moving along. That's that's the whole point. Yes, to keep the motion going, I think for sure. Yes. Momentum. It's a good thing. If that's in a line, great. If that's in a circle, great. If it's in like a cross ping pong pinball kind of motion, good too. <laughs> Just keep yes, going. Exactly. Keep going. <laughs> oh. So yep. we we should probably talk about since we are a show about publishing, about writing. Hmm. The um, Republican National Convention is this week. And there yes, was it is. And kind of a big uproar. Do you want to describe it? Well, so you're talking about the fact that uh, Melania Trump got up and gave a speech that contained uh, over a paragraph's worth of plagiarized material from Michelle Obama's speech that she gave in 2008. I am and then talking about that. Yes, that's what I'm talking the about. The fact that she proceeded to deny that it was plagiarized um, and swear that she wrote the speech. And then the fact that now a staffer has come out and admitted to having plagiarized the material for Melania. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So that happened as well. And so that person was fired from their job. So they, they found somebody to be the scapegoat for it. Um, I don't know who um, is not paying attention to details around here, but it was fairly obvious that the material was plagiarized. And um, so my husband works in this office that is pretty conservative and pretty Republican and pretty happy to support Trump right now. Um, so he's kind of miserable, actually. <laughs> there because it's just like the perfect frustrating um to have to argue with people all day or have to avoid arguing with people all day long you're like no 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 never mind um but so like he even he overheard some people saying well you know nobody has copyrights on you know those phrases they're like common phrases that anybody would use and so like I'm like, dudes, do they not understand the definition of plagiarism? Well, <laughs> I'm like, which, which we should say. I mean, this is important, right? Right. Right. So it's definitely important. Um, and I'm going to look up the word plagiarism in... Um, in Merriam-Webster right now. So, well, that's just useless, mister. <laughs> okay. So, to plagiarize is to steal and pass off as one's own the ideas or words of another. Use a created production without crediting the source. Or to commit literary theft, present as new and original an idea or product derived from an existing source. Yes. So... So, words or ideas. And to a certain extent, you know, there are some universal ideas out there that people can pass around and whatever. But the point was that if you look at those two speeches side by side. Which you can. Okay, I'm linking a a plethora of articles. 
in our well, show if you notes. look at them both side by side you you notice that not only are the exact phrases used they're used in the exact order mm-hmm. So that's, that's where you're like, thing. okay, yeah. so like that was just cut and pasted out of her speech and into Melania's speech. And that's not okay. It's one thing if you want to use universal ideas and maybe even some of the same phrases, but in the same order too, and then say that it's your own work, like that's that's not going to fly. That's going to get you an F in your class, people. <laughs> that's an F in speech writing. <laughs> So in an English class. And there, there has been a response from the world of academia and the education world to say, no, this is not okay. No, you know, we have software that we use for students. That software clearly reveals that this is plagiarism. Yeah. So, you know, overall, what does that do to Trump and Melania and the whole campaign? I don't know, but for the publishing world, for this to be a national stage and to have a speech that's plagiarized in part is a big deal. Because if this gets passed off as, oh, well, it's a, it's an idea that I had, that does trickle down into other people who are writing, other people who are blogging. And we've had a whole show about this, about people who are stealing content and either reselling it or offering it for free mm-hmm. and how authors have to be aware of this. So when something like this hits the national stage, as people who are concerned about writing and as people who are concerned about publishing, y- you need to follow the conversation to see, okay, what's being said, what's being decided. Yes. Well, yeah. And you know, again, like whatever the intention was, whatever the content was, is not such a big deal to me at this point as it is like the execution. And I mean, obviously, like Michelle Obama already said it, I'm probably not going to disagree with entirely what Melania is saying, except that she's applying it to Trump, which I'm like, makes my head hurt. But that's just my little political aside there um but the point the point is it, i mean it doesn't matter who did it or what they're trying to say the the fact is you can't you can't just lift somebody else's stuff it's just not it's not okay and it does reflect a certain idea that if you get to a certain point you can just lift other people's creative work right right so if you're a speechwriter for someone who's going to be the who's going to be delivering a speech on behalf of the Republican presidential cam- candidate, you can just take people's creative work? No. It doesn't matter if you're the president. You can't take people's creative work. That's not okay. Right. Exactly. Without citing it, without giving reference to some of these ideas that... So, okay. So, my mind keeps going back because there's this episode in Gilmore Girls... And Rory is a staff writer for the Yale Daily News. And her editor accuses her of plagiarizing because she uses phrase like uh, herd mentality and like shouting fire in a closed theater. And she's like, those are just phrases that people use. Those are idioms, colloquialisms. You know, those are, I'm not taking that from anybody. They're public domain. Right. 
And so he just reads through these and he's reading some more and he's like, are you kidding me? And she said, I wouldn't plagiarize. And he looks around and he says, you can't say that word in here. In the <laughs> newsroom, you can't say that word in here. Because there's a reverence to the written word and to honoring people's creative work. And that's one of the things that's concerning about this whole thing. Is that yes. you're not honoring those who are creatives and artists. Right. The written word. You're just taking it. Well, and again, there you know, there are certain idioms that people use um that are common and that's fine. In this particular case, you know, idioms that are used in the same exact order and that yeah. are telling the same exact story, that that again is plagiarism. Um but like but then it's it's also lazy writing. Like that's the that's the key issue. It's and that is where like you go from like having an um, an idiom that is um, creatively used to just having a cliche that is something that is just there and that you just like you can't think of anything better or um, a metaphor more appropriate or creative in the moment and so you just grab something that everybody already has heard before and you use that and the problem with that is that everybody's already heard that before. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to make an impression. Unless it's an, oh, yeah, haha, we've already heard that before. Right. And so I it's think- lazy. It's lazy, people. Don't do it. And, then, I mean, that's part of your job and my job as an editor to say, this needs work because you can do better. Because this, you can't – readers aren't idiots – you know, they want to be engaged intellectually and challenged as they're reading. And I, God, what book was I reading recently? And I was just, I was just thinking to myself, how did this get published? <laughs> because it was, it was, it was lazy writing. It had such potential, but it was lazy writing. And I will say the recent, you know, last week, we were, last week, two weeks ago, we were talking a little bit about the discussions of racism that are going around in our country and the entitlement and privilege that mm-hmm. I'm reflecting on and I'm trying to wrestle with and understand a little bit better where my perspective is based on what I've been afforded that I didn't necessarily work for. So mm-hmm. that's another thing I think that is really hard to analyze yourself in your own writing. And, and this is why it's so important to have a community of writers that you pass your work on to or, or an alpha reader like you were talking about and especially a freelance editor because that person is going to challenge you to look at some of the, the privilege and the assumptions that you put in your writing because it is your writing. Right. And I think this is really important right now. I think writing is really important right now. Writing well is really important right now. And how we use rhetoric in the midst of this political season is very important. It's true. Ah, this political season is going to make my head explode. I'm trying not to pay attention too much. But but I will say, I will say, I mean, I can definitely get to the point where I I do that disengagement. But I think think that you have to pay attention to some of it because if 
wherever things go in November, all of these conversations, all of this rhetoric, all of this plagiarizing on the national stage for a very important speech are going to have ramifications and trickle down effect to the rest of us. It's true. And so while I don't necessarily want to listen to someone who says that he would fight beside any man and defend any woman, I need to hear that because if that's what's being um, held up, then I know that as a woman, I've got, I've got to be aware of that because it is going <laughs> to change my position, my ability to get jobs and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Which is why it's so important that we write our stories and that we write our stories well and that we take the time to do our creative work because there are people whose voices aren't being heard and there are people whose voices are and, and creative work are being taken and you know rebranded as someone else's. So for me, that <laughs> gives me a little fire in my um, foot. Fire in your foot? Fire in, my, fire in my feet. What's it? I see. That's not the, that's not the idiom, though, is it? What is it? I actually don't. Fire I in my don't. step. Fire in my step. Okay. I'm going to have to look that up. I'm going to look it up right now. Hmm. Fire in my soul. That's not it. That's not it. Uh, there's a song by Leona Lewis called Fire Under My Feet. Fire in My Pants. Oh, I don't know what it is. It's okay. Light a Fire Under Me. Light a Fire Under Me. Maybe that's what I was going for. So when my friends and I were teaching in Germany, we were talking about how because we were teaching ESL basically all the idioms you you know one of the signs of being conversational or being fluent in a language is to be able to speak idioms idioms well uh-huh and, and use them appropriately because it's metaphorical language that's a different level of uh, speaking and writing when you start to it's use true. metaphorical language then you understand the very essence of the language itself and it's so we, true. We were talking about how we were working with our English students, and so they would try to use idioms as they were developing. But it got to the point that we had heard so many idioms just a little bit wrong that when we <laughs> gathered as native English speakers, we legitimately would have a conversation like we, you and I just had that was, wait, is it fire in my foot? Fire in my step? Right. What is th- I know there's something with fire and getting you going. You know, I know what it means, but what is the actual phrase? Because what was I just watching? There was something, I feel like there was something I was watching not long ago with a character that was like that. I can't remember right now. Where he would get the idiom just wrong. Well, just and this is classic in children's literature, right? Amelia Bedelia. Right. Who takes everything literally right and our six-year-old just thinks she's hilarious <laughs> because well, she you know she's beginning to understand this metaphorical metaphorical language and to use it and it's so <laughs> what do they always say 
Oh, they always say, do you, did you realize that sign? Uh-huh. Instead of, did you recognize that sign? Uh-huh. So it's just that one switch. I mean, they're so close. Realize and recognize are really close, actually, in the meaning. But you don't say, did you realize that sign? You realize an idea. You don't realize a sign. You recognize a sign. Right. And so it's funny to hear how that develops in kids or, um, you know, people who don't speak English natively, too. Right. Which is me sometimes, apparently tonight. Yeesh. That's why, like, my favorite, I mean, so my favorite character from Guardians of the Galaxy is Drax. Yes. Because he takes everything literally (laughs) and it kills me. So, like, every time they, like, use an idiom and they, like, make fun of it, you know, the metaphors and stuff. But I just love him. He's my favorite character. I'm like, hee hee, the more literal, the better. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where the humor is, but yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because I guess I'm on this kind of rhetorical binge right now because I've been reading a lot of the articles that talk about what the Trump campaign has done, especially in denying something that Trump has said that's derogatory or discriminatory when they have footage of him saying that Mm -hmm. and that he denies it and it's something have you ever heard of gaslighting yeah i I saw that article earlier on facebook that was going around about gaslighting well we'll link it down here because i think it's really important as you you know uh, for writers but also as you are engaging rhetorically with people to understand Gaslighting is actually a rhetorical device, mm-hmm. if you want to really think about it that way. Mm-hmm. And so many of us, as we're using and, and speaking in conversation or as we're listening to, you know, articles that are going around, discussions that are going around, we're forgetting that people are using words purposefully. And people are using words to sell ideas, to sell campaigns, to sell uh, brands. Words are not just words. <laughs> words have an intention and intent and a purpose. Yeah. Well, and for a political campaign to think that people would not be using words intentionally and like choosing every word carefully is just it's not right because well, or they, that's or- what they're doing but to think that people wouldn't analyze every word of the speech right that's what i can't get my head around don't well, you think people would run this through you would think i'm not sure what to think there part of me is like did you do that on purpose to like distract us from something else that was going on I'm or to confused. equate her to michelle obama so the comparison's going like yeah exactly and i think that's the thing that a lot of people shy away from is this critical literacy because when you engage mentally but also in conversation about how people are using words and how people are using rhetoric, then you start to understand, oh my gosh, everybody's got an agenda. Everybody, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> kind of overwhelming to, 
analyze and then micro-analyze every interaction. Yeah. Well, um, and I mean, that's that's the heart of advertising. Um, and, and honestly, like, if you're going to be a writer, you... You want to pay attention to that because because you have to make sure that every word that you put into your manuscript is there on purpose. Like you're not, you know, during a messy draft, yes, words fly off your fingers and you like throw them onto the page and then um, you go back and like look at them afterwards, you know, kind of like like a splatter painted picture where you just like shake the paint all over and then you like go and figure out what the shape is after you've done that. But um, but that's what the point of revision is, and that's why any like really solid writing um, comes with revision is because you go back and you look at it and you say, okay, so how can I frame this? How can I shape this? How can I use words that have more emotional or less emotional impact in order to make my point? Like, do you want to come off as more emotional? Do you want to tip people off to be more emotional, or do you want to to draw back so that people are less emotional and feel like it's a more logical approach to whatever it is that you're trying to say. And that goes for your nonfiction writing. It also goes for your fiction. You know, like how do you pump a scene with emotion? You use words that, that have more latent meaning to them. Um, and that's that whole thing we were just talking about with idioms, right? Like, like there are like, this is where it becomes almost poetry even the idea that you take that like you can cram a word so full of meaning that just using it in a sentence changes everything it changes how you view the scene it changes how you view the character who used that word um or the word is used to describe that character because the because words do they come with this overarching um feeling they come with baggage most of them. And the more baggage, the better sometimes. But you have to know what you're using. So, yeah, I'm, and it's- I'm sure that the Trump campaign knows what it's using. They know why and what. And they're being calculated about it, just like Hillary is, just like Bernie was, you know, like all of it. It's, it's all calculated to do something to the public. Yes, and I think in the same way, you can also um, reveal something about the character with the words they use. You know, if they use grammatically incorrect words, you're sending a message that either they're not educated or that they're choosing not to use their intellect for some reason. All of that matters as you're doing character development and, and developing voices for your characters, but also for yourself as an author. Yes. But one of the things that is fascinating to me as someone who is in the publishing industry is how many times I have to have conversations with authors about advertisers who are using words in order to get you to believe something. Yes. These are people who are so adept. They are wonderful, wonderfully skilled writers. They use words beautifully to evoke emotion, to create scenes, to bring you into the world that they've created. And then when they go to a self-publishing site that tells them that they're going to be able to distribute their own work to thousands of different places, they believe those words and don't see those words as persuasive advertising in order to get their money. Right. It's the most frustrating thing that I have to deal with in this job. 
like, you are a writer. Why? Let's just stop for a second. What do you think the purpose of this language on this website is? Yeah. Probably to get people to buy the service. Yes, and you're falling for it. You're falling <laughs> for that marketing. Well, so the one that you sent me yesterday, too, you sent me a link to, is that what you're talking to, about? No, that's that not even the one, one I'm talking about. It's not <laughs> because even the one I'm talking about. There's so many examples. I'm and I, I don't know if I should, box. I don't know if I should out that particularly because it's I don't know anything good. about that company, but like, I just, I was interested in the, the choice of the name for that particular company. Because yes. I was like, really? That's? What you're calling yourself publishing service? Well, and okay. And this is interesting too because I'll get pitches from people for manuscripts and they'll say, I've been published by one of these self publishing websites. <laughs> now, here's Author the thing. solutions, and you're like, mm, no, you haven't. <laughs> yeah, create, create space, which is right. famously mm, Amazon, no, you haven't. right? And I'm like, I'm not saying you haven't been published. You have been published, but you're self published. Right, own you that. published yourself. Own that, that you're a self-published author. And don't assume that as a publisher, I don't know what a self-publishing service is. Cause I'm right. <laughs> and don't assume that I'm not going to go Google this service that you say is your publisher. Yeah. Because here's the thing. You're telling me two things. Number one. You don't believe that you're a published author because you're self-published. Number two, you think that self-publishing is lesser than being traditionally published. And that tells me a whole lot about whether I want to work with you as an author or not. It's true. I'm telling you. Oh, my God. They're trying to gaslight you. (laughs) Maybe not gaslight, but definitely they're trying to market to me. (laughs) <laughs> oh, but I, I mean, the, the number of authors and we, gosh, we, we talk about this all the time, but the number of authors who don't, who just take words at surface level, unless they're writing them astounds me. Yeah. Astounds me. And I'm, I'm thinking, you don't think that, that, that other people who are writing take as much care with their words as you have. I mean, that was yeah. a painstaking process for you. And it's true. Actually, a lot of people don't. A lot of people just let words fly off their fingers before actually letting those fly off their fingers and then letting that marinate, as we were talking about, and then going back to revise what they've put. Yeah. Because publishing on social media, on blogs, is so damn easy now. Yep, it's instantaneous. (laughs) <laughs> and speech writers get to plagiarize speeches well they don't because that guy got fired so but he's still gonna get another job you know he's going to probably so probably so <sighs> okay now I'm depressed don't be depressed but this is really important. You know, it, it's words matter. I don't know how many times we say this, but words matter. Hmm. Maybe we cool. should change the name of our podcast. To Words Matter? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I like it. I wonder if the Thinking.fm network would still have us if we didn't have thinking in our title. We'll have to ask. I don't know. 
Hey, but it's really exciting. If you go over to thinking.fm, there's a new donate page. And and uh, we have heard that Thinking Religion has some subscribers, some monthly subscribers. And we would really, really like to prove that we are just as important as we are. <laughs> that we have loyal fans, too. So if you could help us <laughs> in Please. our conversation. And Come yes, and subscribe. This is a pitch. This is a marketing pitch. In case you're in case you're not aware. You can go over to thinking.fm. You can donate to Thinking Out Loud. You can do a monthly subscription or a one-time subscription. We would appreciate either to let us know yeah. what we're doing here does matter to you, too, and that the conversations we're having are helpful to you. And if you have questions or if, you, if there's something you want to hear us talk about, you should let us know because we would love to be able to do that, um, to answer any of your questions. We'll give you a shout out. Um, yeah. yeah. We, or we love won't it. mention your name, either one. <laughs> <laughs> if you want us just to talk about something that you've encountered in your world of writing without mentioning your name or your situation, we'd be happy to do that too. Yes. Definitely. So if people do want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? You can find me on the web at www.writingrefinery.com. Um, you can also find me at elizabethkaufman.com. That's my author website. I'm on Facebook at um, Elizabeth Kaufman Author and also at Writing Refinery. And then on Twitter um, at Writing Refinery and on Goodreads and Pinterest and all that kind of stuff at Writing Refinery. Look me up. Have Tell me something or ask me a question. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to talk about publishing, self-publishing, dual endeavor publishing, traditional publishing, or any of the sort, then you can contact me at harrelsonpress.com, which the new website is coming momentarily. <laughs> like tomorrow. I'm so excited because it has a new updated shop. It's going to be easier to buy books there. Oh, we're so excited. It's taking a little bit to overhaul this, but it's going to be so worth it. You can also find us at Harrelson Press on Facebook and at Harrelson Press on Twitter. And if you want to see or question a self-publishing service, please send me an email first. Please tweet me. Ask me about it. Please, please let me tell you. Let me share what I know about these <laughs> services. Yes. I greatly appreciate it. Anything else we should say? Words matter. Words matter. Words I think matter. that's our show title this week. Words matter. Don't plagiarize. Get your idioms right. I think that about sums it up, huh? Yes. Okay, I'm going to go decompress now. I need to do some yoga. <laughs> All right. Find my happy place. I'll talk to you next Yay. week. Bye. Bye.